However, what we can do is we can set up the date. We can't make people fall in love with Jesus, but we can make sure that they get a date together. And that's what our church is about. And we want to make sure people get that date. Now, here's the deal. I want to introduce you to somebody in Scripture that did this incredibly well. In fact, the only thing that is mentioned about him, he's mentioned three times, that he, he's a matchmaker. So I want, I want to learn from him in John chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, uh, if you don't, that's okay. It'll be up on the screen. But if you look in John chapter 1, uh, it will, now here's the deal with John. If you don't know much about the Bible, that's totally okay. This is a safe place for you. But we want, uh, John chapter 1. Now if you go about three quarters of the way through your Bible, you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Now John, here's the deal about John. John was one of the disciples or learners or followers of Jesus. Uh, and a lot of people say that he was probably the youngest follower of Jesus. He also, uh, he also, it also says about John that he was basically Jesus's best friend. If you were to pick somebody who was Jesus, just, there was a special relationship between John and Jesus. And at, the very, and at the very end, when Jesus is actually hanging on the cross, about to die, he sees John and he sees his mother Mary, and he tells John, he, he gives John the command to take care of his own mother. So you know that John is a pretty important person. John saw everything happen with Jesus. And it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty important that we know that John knows what he's talking about. And John is an important character in this scripture. So John writes this story, the gospel according to John. It's the real deal. And so in the first chapter, we're going to look uh, at verse 35 through 42 today. So if, you, if you're taking notes, all this stuff, we've got some pretty simple points. And I want you to follow along in your scripture with me. It says this in John uh, chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. Now, hang on. Rewind. When it says John here, now John was a pretty popular name just as it is now. There's probably several Johns in this room, uh, right? You have the book of John, and then you have John the Baptist, which is just another, it's a completely different guy. So this is who he's talking about. He's talking about John the Baptist. The The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, here's the deal. Here's John the Baptist. I gave you the intro to John, the writer of the gospel. Then we have John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was this huge, boisterous character who, uh, he, he was the, I guess, the forerunner of Jesus. He was the person who was supposed to come before Jesus, kind of clear the path, be the announcer, the messenger, the person who was supposed to have the bullhorn and say, hey, everybody, the Savior is coming. The Messiah is coming. My job is to announce him. Uh, and so he was this very loud, very kind of big character of, of a person, right? So, and it, the Bible says that he would go off into the wilderness, he had furs on, and he would eat, he had a really weird diet. But the thing is, is that people liked John. People liked to go hear him. He was a good communicator. And uh, I mean, there's a, everybody loved John, except for the religious people. The religious people didn't like John very much. That's why he lost his head a little bit later in life. But uh, he, he was a very, very popular person. And he had a huge following. Hundreds of thousands of people would come and hear John speak. And then he had a couple people that followed him around and were his disciples, meaning people who were learning from him on a regular basis. And John, his whole gig is to point to one who is coming. He was to point to Jesus. And so while he was teaching, probably hundreds of thousands of times, he was telling everyone, there is one who is coming that is better than me. 
Because there's people who are falling in love with this guy named John the Baptist. They loved him. And he, kind of, he kept on saying, I, at some point, I'm going to decrease and this man is going to increase. When this man comes along, you need to follow him. And so his disciples knew this. He taught them on a regular basis. And then he says, one day, he's, got his, he's kind of got his entourage around him. And then Jesus, a very meek and mild guy, comes along, walks along. And then John finally says, that's him. Behold the Lamb of God. That's what he says. Now, here's the deal. The, the folks who are following John at this time, I mean, mostly Jews, they're waiting for this guy who's going to come along and he was going to free them from kind of their enslavement to the Romans. And they're waiting for this great military leader. Guy on a big white horse is what they're waiting for. And then John makes this proclamation. Behold the Lamb of God. Now, back in that day, what did you do with a lamb? You sacrificed a lamb. That was its job. So this was no war cry. This was a death sentence. Follow him. This is the guy who's going to die. That's who you need to follow. That's what's happening in this passage. And what do they do in the next verse? They go. They follow him. Because John pointed in the right direction. He didn't point to himself. He didn't point to anybody else. He pointed, he taught them and pointed. And when the right time came, he said, there you go. And he set up that date with Jesus perfectly. And it was great because that lamb of God, the reason why he's called the lamb is because he was going to be sacrificed on the cross on our behalf, in our place for our sins. And not only for them in this passage, but for you and I also, that we get the opportunity because of Jesus's death on the cross, he takes upon our sins onto himself and then takes his righteousness, meaning everything good that he has done, and he places it onto us so that one day when we meet God in that place, in heaven, we get to say, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. I had nothing to do with, with anything that I did good, but it was Jesus who lives in me. And that's, that's what John wanted to say. It's about that guy. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And you do a fantastic job of pointing in the right direction. So the real goal here is to follow the one. This will be on the screen. To follow the one. We cannot follow the wrong thing. Here at New Year's, we, are, we all have these resolutions, these things that we want to do differently. We got a plan, we got a pill, we got a process, we got a program that we want to follow, maybe a 10-step type deal where we're trying to lose weight, we're trying to quit smoking, we're trying to get out of debt. We got all these things, and we're trying to figure out those magic things that are going to make our life better. And John says, it's not about any of that stuff. Because that's what John was giving. He was kind of, he was kind of, this is a plan. We want to, we want to, here's 10 things that you need to get right in your life. But John was like, I, that's all I got. But what you need is not a program or a process or a plan. You need a person. You need a person. And you need to follow the right guy. And you need to follow the one who's going to lead you properly. So let's keep going. In verse 38 and 39, it says this. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was, for it was about the tenth hour. 
Notice how he doesn't say, here's the deal. I just told you that it's more, about a, uh, it's more about a person than it is a plan or program or anything else. But Jesus asks, what are you seeking? Not who are you seeking, but what are you seeking? He's got these new, these new people for the first time following him around. They want to know what's going on. And, and here's the deal. I think Jesus was assuming that they, they wanted that special pill. They wanted that 10-step program. They wanted that plan. What's the plan going to be, Jesus? How are you going to fix, how are you going to fix my life? And what he wants to say is, he doesn't turn around and say, okay, here it is. Here's the 10-step plan. Here you go. List it off. Get your notes out. It's come and see. Come and see where I'm going. And then they ask, where are you staying? Where are you dwelling? And Jesus is like, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to show you. I want you to come with me. I want you to be with me uh, and, and, and be a part of it. Now, have you, ever had, have you ever had one of those people, and maybe we did this in high school a lot, but, and I'm not really sure if this is a nationwide thing, if you ever heard of this, but uh, there always is that had-to-be-there guy. You understand what I'm saying? That had-to-be-there guy who, in, in a group, might tell a story that makes absolutely no sense unless you had to actually be in the location of which he was talking about, right? Does anybody have a friend like that? That, like his jokes don't make any sense. And he's like, and then Joe walked into a, you know, walked into a bar with a ski mask and he had two salmons. And everybody's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then he, he breaks out laughing. And he just had to be there, right? It's irritating, right? Those people are just annoying because they're telling you about an experience without inviting you into it. They want you to, 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 they want to tell you something and they want you to laugh in that moment, but they have no interest in you experiencing what they experienced. And I fear that we do this with Jesus a lot. And two ways we do this. Um, number one reason we, how we do this is we have our, we split up our normal lives and then we have our church lives. Now here's, here's how this goes. We have our normal lives. What did you do? You know, so you get back to where you get to work on, on Monday morning and say, okay, what'd you do this weekend? Well, I did some yard work, went to the beach because it's like really hot outside uh, in the middle of January. Uh, anybody else be weirded out by that? Um, it, you know, did some yard work, went to the beach, had a Saturday night date night, went to church, and then I watched some football. Now, that's cool. And your coworkers, oh, did you see that game last night? That was really cool. Yeah, I went to the beach too. I didn't see you there. That was really neat too. Uh, what happens is, is that, and, and, and then nobody says, okay, tell me a little bit about this church, what, what does that have to do with anything? You just spent hours there. You know, what happens? And we separate those things, two things, and it gets really kind of, it kind of gets a little bit weird when we begin mixing those two together. What would happen if we took our normal life and then we took our Christian life and then melded them together into one whole life to where Christ is the focal point of what we're trying to do? So that on the Monday morning conversation, it's not about the yard work or the football game or the beach or the Saturday night day. It's about, you know, we had a great time. Uh, I, my best part of my weekend was being with the church. The best part of my weekend was, was fellowshipping with other Christians. And what would it look like if, you know, you came into that? Now, the other, the other, two, the other thing that we do wrong is that we will tell people about what's going on in our Christian life. We tell people about church. We tell people about what's happening. And we say how amazing and great it is, but we never take that next step to actually invite them into it. You're the had-to-be-there guy. And that's incredibly annoying. 
oh, it was so cool on Sunday. We, we did this awesome thing. We, you know, was, we did this thing called Love Gave this weekend. It was, you know, I'll tell you everything that happened. And then there's no invitation to take the next step to say, come and see what God is doing in my life and in the lives of others and what he can do for you. Where is that next step for us? We need that next step to make things happen and be that catalyst leader. So what I'm talking about here is, is you know, re- let's review for a second. You have, we need to follow the one, which is Jesus, and then we need to be the one to say, come and see. So we follow the one to be the one, to say, come and see. Now here's, here's the guy I want to introduce you to in verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now here's, here's the deal. You have Andrew. Nobody really knows who Andrew is. He's really not, I mean, he's not a big deal. But there's a lot of people who knew who Peter is. Simon Peter was a huge voice, but it was his little brother who led him to Jesus. It was his little brother who was the introduction to Christ. Little did Andrew know that that simple introduction between Jesus and Peter would lead to the, one of the greatest leaders in church history. We don't know much about Andrew besides, what, besides the three occurrences he has in the Bible. There's not much about him afterwards, but we know a ton about Peter. Who could it be in your life? You might not, I mean, your story might not amount to much. You might say, what am I to do? But you could invite the one person who could be a huge catalyst leader for the kingdom. We talked about that last week. What does that look like for you to be the matchmaker for people who are going to lead in the kingdom later on? The next time we see Andrew, so that was number one. Number two is Andrew is the guy when, when, okay, so Jesus is teaching. This is in John chapter six. We don't have to turn there. Jesus is teaching to literally thousands of people on a hillside. And it's getting dark and people are getting hungry. And the disciples come up and say, hey, you need to go send these people away because they have to go get something to eat. And Jesus says, well, why don't you feed them? And they're like, we don't have any food. So Andrew, being of having a little faith, finds a small boy who has five loaves and two fish. You might know the story. Five loaves of bread and two fish and says, all right, Jesus, here you go. And he leads the boy to Jesus and says, this is the best we got. That's Andrew. And so, and then Jesus is able to show how he can provide to thousands at one time. Using this, as a, it, it, he basically turns it into this miraculous catch of fish and this miraculous, I mean, the, everything multiplies like crazy. And Jesus does this. And it all comes from Andrew saying, I don't know what to do. I don't have enough money to buy enough food. I can't make food. But what I can do is find someone with a little bit of faith and simply bring them to Jesus. That's all he does. Brings them to Jesus. The third time we find Andrew, it's a very simple story in John chapter 12. You don't have to turn there either. But this is a big moment. A bunch of, uh, the Bible says, a bunch of Greeks, or what we might know as Gentiles, people that are not Jewish. They come up to a guy named Philip, who is another disciple. They come up to Philip and they say, we would like to see Jesus, please. And Philip doesn't have any clue what to do. Because these were not Jewish people. These were Gentile people. These were Greek people. I'm not really sure if it's okay for the Greek people to see 
our Jewish king, the Jewish Messiah. I, I don't know if that works. I'm not really sure if you're clean enough. I'm not really sure if you're good enough. I'm not really sure if you're able to come to church. Your life is kind of messed up. I've got to keep you away from this. And what Philip does is he becomes a gatekeeper and not a matchmaker. And so what Philip does is he comes over and he kind of scratches his head and he's like, Andrew, so we got these Greeks over here. Um, I'm not really sure what to do with them. They're not Jewish. They're not like us. They don't talk like us. They don't act like us. They don't have the same religious background. They don't have the things that we know. What are we supposed to do with them? And Andrew knows exactly what to do. He says, come here. Let me introduce you to Jesus. And this is a big moment. The next thing that Jesus says is he points his face towards Jerusalem and he says, this is the moment where I die for the entire world. Andrew was a catalyst for changing, for changing all sorts of things by simply bringing people to Christ. That's all he did. So we have the choice in our relationships, whether it be in our work, in our family, whatever, we have the choice to either be a matchmaker for Christ, simply introduce them, or we can be a gatekeeper and say, you decide who gets to meet Jesus and who doesn't. So we have to decide if we're going to follow the one, meaning Jesus, if we're going to be the one, meaning having some kind of conviction on ourselves to then bring the one. So all I'm going to do is say, come and see, come and see my Jesus. So I want you to be that matchmaker. I want you to be that person who brings people rather than chooses for yourself, who gets to see Jesus and who doesn't. And we all do this. We all make decisions in our workplace, whether we're going to talk about it, whether we're going to put ourselves out there. It's really, it's actually really kind of tough because you kind of expose yourself and say, yeah, I, I go to church and I'm a Christian and I, 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 I give my, myself over to this person named Jesus and, uh, and I really want you to know him too. Is that Okay. And we kind of brace for what might happen to us socially. My hope for this church is that we wouldn't have that. But that we'd be willing matchmakers just like Andrew to say, Hey, I want to to introduce you to my Jesus. And so, you have a card on your your seat, or you should have one close to you. We're doing this this thing called the One Series. and, And you can kind of figure out why we're calling it the One. Follow the One, be the One, bring the One. It all kind of has that same theme. And two weeks from today, January 27th, uh, we are, we're going to have two services. Now, here's, here's why we're doing this. We're going to have two services, one at 9.30 and one at 11. And you might say, okay, what's the special deal? Here's the special deal. We want to pinpoint that day and say, we want you to bring everyone. We, we want, not everyone, I messed it up already. We want you to bring one person that does not go to church anywhere. We want you to bring one person. And we want you to commit to bringing one person. If we all do that, we need two services to handle that. Our child care workers need that. One of the main reasons why we need it is because we want to make sure that if you're working in child care that week, that, that you can uh, sit with the person that you invite, right? It'd be terrible if you were working in, working in child care and you invite somebody and then they sit by themselves. We don't want that to happen, 
All right, so we want, we want to have two services. We're going to have some extra special gifts. We're going to be working on a, or we're going to be launching a marriage series after that in February. And so one of the things we're working on is kind of giving, giving away a uh, paid-for date, which is pretty cool. So you want to come for that and have some uh, just cool stuff. And here's what's going to happen. I am going to stand up here and I'm going to preach a very, very simple gospel message that's going to, uh, that's going to tell them about Jesus in a simple way and ask for them to respond. And you might, you might have people in your family, people at your work, people, just friends that you might have, neighbors, whatever. And you might say, you know, I've been, I really need this guy to hear the story of Jesus and what, what the gospel can do for him. I want him to hear that. This is your opportunity. All you have to do is say, hey, can you come with me on January 27th, Sunday, Sunday morning? There's two services, 930 and 11. We'd love for you to come. There's going to be stuff. There's going to be stuff for your kids to do. It's going to be fantastic. I want you to come. So here's the deal. You have a card in your seat, and we just want you to pick one person. We don't want you to pick 10 people because, because that just kind of gets out of hand. We need, we, need, we need to pick one person that you're going to pinpoint. It doesn't go to church anywhere. And so the invitation today is to write down that person's name. Just write down that person's name. Here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to collect that card. You are going to keep that card. I want you to keep it in your pocket, in your purse. Where I don't care, your front shirt pocket. I want you to keep it with you to remind you that this is the person that you're supposed to invite. This is the person that you might, you, you might engage. And you might say, hey, you know, making a leap to invite to church, that's pretty huge. Well, why don't this week you invite them out to lunch or invite them out for coffee or invite them to your house for dinner or something like that, where it's not such a big leap. Bring them and say, come and see. I want you to be a part of my life. And you might be here this morning and say, Lo, this is my first day here. <laughs> you are really freaking me out. That's okay, all right? We're, I'm not expecting you to do that. And you might even look at me and say, yo, I'm not even down for this Jesus thing. I'm just kind of searching this out. I'm here because somebody wants me to be here, but I'm not even really sure I believe all that stuff. That's okay too. Maybe you are someone's one, right? You might be someone's one, and that's okay. So just, just keep on coming. And if you want to be involved in this, you might want to bring somebody that shares your opinion. And say, hey, I need somebody along with me to sit next to me who thinks the same way that I do, that we can kind of dialogue about what's happening on the stage. That's okay, too. We want to engage with you at that level. So wherever you are, I want you to write down that name, and I want you to keep it. We're going to talk a little bit more about it next week, but I want you to really engage with that name and keep that card. uh, And and I challenge you uh, to make sure that you write somebody's name down and then begin talking with them about an invitation to come here on the 27th, two weeks from today. Okay? Let's pray together. God, we are uh, thankful for how you are working in our life. And uh, we're, we're just uh, grateful for the ones. Father, you put so many ones in my life. People who, uh, you put them in my path, Father. And you allow me to engage them. God, some have responded and some haven't, but it is not my choice to decide who does that and who doesn't. And I'm glad that you get the glory when someone comes to know you. And so I pray that we would be a church of matchmakers, that we would be a church that wants to win our friends for Christ, that we would be a church that says, hey, I just want you to come and see. So I pray for boldness and for courage this week. I pray that we that we take this challenge seriously.
And we know that you're better than anything else. And so we want to give everyone that we know an opportunity to know you. And we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.